inside Achari. Achari got it to the front of the net, but it was knocked away. Three Leafs ball. Here's a three-on-two rush. Cross the line for Cousins. Cousins closing, shooting, scores! Nick Cousins wins the series for the Florida Panthers. The long-term future of the Maple Leafs might have to change. And uh, drove to Kyle's office at Ford Performance Center and informed him that we were not going to be renewing his contract. I'd like to introduce uh, Brad Treeliving as the 18th general manager in Toronto Maple Leafs history. This is about the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not about four players, not about two, it's not about one. It's about the 23 guys that we're going to have in this organization. Miner's in over the line. He stops up, gets it into the slot, Nylander to the net and scores! The success of this team or, or whatever trip or whatever um, challenges we have isn't because of four guys or two guys or one guy. It's about the group. Minton getting it in front, the shot scores! Nice! Razor Minton strips the puck and he finds Nyes in front of the net and Matthew Nyes makes no mistake. Morning show, Sportsnet 590, the fan band, and it's Brent Gunning. If that doesn't get your juices flowing, I don't know what will, Brent. Not that you need extra help getting your juices flowing. It's 6 o'clock in the morning on Toronto Maple Leafs game day. Leafs and Montreal Canadiens from Scotiabank Arena tonight. Yeah, the only juice flowing for me at pretty much all times of the day is black coffee. And don't worry, folks, I'm stocked up. But even I, even I don't need the IV drip going today. I am so excited. Maple Leafs season opener today. We got some hockey last night. I have some apologizing to do. Okay, uh, apologize. Man. Get the apologizing out of the way. No, no better way to start your day than to apologize. Go ahead. The floor is yours. I, for one, would like to say scoreboard NHL one. Yeah. Brent Gunning zero. Yeah. I complained and I complained and mm. I complained about the Preds and the Lightning kicking off the NHL season. And I'll be honest, one part of it I didn't like, I wasn't quite ready to see Luke Shen not be a Leaf. Ryan O'Reilly, a little different. Luke Shen, I, I know it is what it is. But what an awesome game yeah. between the Preds and Lightning. Obviously, Bedard Crosby was great. And uh, I heard tales that, that Vegas and Seattle was uh, was exciting. But for a guy <laughs> who's up this this energized at this time of day, yeah. that one was a myth for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and kudos to the Vegas Golden Knights for sure. rebounding after whatever happened uh, at Monday Night Football and 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 putting forth a, a, a solid 60-minute effort in uh, their debut game of the season after a Stanley Cup victory. Yeah, th- there's so much Leafs we're going to get to mm-hmm. today. Let's start, though, with Connor Bedard's NHL debut yesterday against the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, a debut in which he was lined up to, to, to take to the ice for the pregame skate. I forgot his stick. So obviously, like, I think someone moved it. I don't think I, I'm going to go out on a limb and no. say I don't think Connor Bedard forgot he needed a stick. I don't know. <laughs> I think someone probably it, moved it. I don't think he I, just, I don't think it was a Ricky Bobby. I, what do I do with my hands? I don't know what to do. I think, I think it was a little. It was in the room, though. It was a little I, joke someone I, played I, on him. I don't know okay. if I agree we'll never with know. that, friend. We'll never know. I think he. Frank. Someone text Frank. Tell him to get to the bottom of this for yeah. when he comes on. Um, and then takes the ice and looks pretty Connor Bedardish. Has his oh, yeah. first career NHL point. Uh, his team wins the hockey game. He does not score a goal, but looks very mm-hmm. dangerous in multiple opportunities. Boy, 
He's obviously the focal point on the power play. And you guess who knows that everybody else that's going to play the Chicago Blackhawks this season. Uh, it does make you harken back to a number of years ago in Austin Matthews four goal get, uh, debut. Like how difficult that must be for a guy with so much focus on him right out of the shoot to, to exceed expectations as quickly as he did. Even Connor McDavid took a couple of games to uh-huh. get his first career NHL point. So at least Bedard's on the board against the Penguins team. They might have some issues uh, keeping the puck out of their own net and certainly going to need to score more than two goals a game with that high powered offense. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, the Matthews debut, it'll always be special. Uh, you know, when no matter what happens in Austin Matthews NHL career, that's going to be a part of the story. Like when it's all said and done on retirement day, hopefully there are many other accolades that we talk about between now and then, including the heart trophies already won in the 60 goal season. That's always going to be talked about, but let's also realize what it is. It means something to be a leaf and go have your debut on the road in your secondary home in Ottawa. I get what that means, but let's not pretend that it's anything close to going into Pittsburgh for a date with Sidney Crosby and the complete line that they are drawing there of, okay, you're yeah. next in line. Sid's on the way out. You're on the way in. And I want to be clear, I'm not pouring dirt on Sidney Crosby. He can stay as long as he wants. <laughs> Still looks pretty good, yeah. uh, but the, it's it was special. One thing I have to just, I have to get off my chest. Maybe I will not have to apologize to the NHL for this because it's happened and I did not like it. I'm good on the refs saying, hey, folks, yeah. it's hockey day. <laughs> Sydney, welcome back. Connor. It's I, fine. He, might, he, might, he might as well just shake his hand. <laughs> right, Give him flowers. What are we doing here? Drop that. Welcome to the NHL. Connor. Connor. Oh, my God. There were, there were three other rookies on the Chicago team. Oh, my God. I could, whatever. I guess. If America wants that, if America needs that, let them have it. It was fine. It was not. It was <laughs> Yuck. I it, could not. Okay. Could you ever in your life imagine the NA, NFL next year going, and Caleb Williams, welcome. No. Eh. No. Well, yeah, but there's nothing. Okay. Andrew Luck, mm. welcome. No. God. Maybe not. But it there is. Stunk. It's there, fine. There's there a million a, great things to talk about, but I'm a complainer. I had a gripe. I had to sneak it in. Do, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I did not like it. Michael Buffer, like, start the, the NFL season every year, right? Or The Rock sometimes will do a hype up thing right before the opening kickoff of a football game. That's uh, just America, I'm realizing now. God, they just you need just their you pump. have to find something to hate I do, on. I do. I was it's d- too early was too for the po- hate. No, yesterday was too positive a day. I feel myself slipping away. I'm like, oh. no, I got to hold on to a piece of me. I thought if you were looking for hate if you were looking for some vitriol to, to send out in, mm. into the world it might be towards that Pittsburgh Penguins team who like I said and you know what Peter Morazic made some big saves so and it's just game one of 82 but yeah if you if you were gonna extrapolate <laughs> if you were gonna freak out if you're a a, a Penguins fan or mm-hmm. a Dubas defender you'd say oh boy uh one Eric Carlson didn't pop all that much nope. in the hockey game and looks like there's gonna be some work to do on that power play oh, yeah because I don't know if they necessarily know what his role is on the power play and, and whether they have him in the right spot. Um, but yeah, they they blew a two-goal lead and they only scored two goals against the Chicago Blackhawks team. I don't think is is going to be in the running for you know one of the best defensive hockey teams this NHL season. That was not an ideal start for a Penguins team that that has, well, obviously playoff aspirations. And anytime you got Sidney Crosby of Guinea Malkin, and then you add an Eric Carlson, you've got Stanley Cup aspirations. Not exactly what you want for, for the team that was third worst in the NHL to, to come into your barn and beat you. Yeah, no, far from an ideal start from the Penguins. I will say that given all of the kind of consistency and the lack of turnover they've had there in the handful of years, 
even if there wasn't all the other change that happened around that roster, I mean, I, I've kind of forgotten Olvachari played for them until right. I saw him in the game. Mm-hmm. Just adding a guy like Carlson to a group that has been so set in stone is going to take time. If there was a, and I probably should have had this thought before I bet Pittsburgh to win last night, but if there was ever a recipe for a Penguins team to come out of the gate and not be looking like they know how to play with each other yet because they don't, and a Blackhawks team that has a bunch of young guys and they're all fired up for Bedard and he was shouting out Felino saying to make it a special one in the post game, like it was all right there. So I'm not. I'm not watching last night's game going, oh, no, this is not going to work in Pittsburgh. But there's definitely going to be a a month period here where I want to see some stride and improvement from them because last night it was it was not good. I mean, the, Jamal Mayers did a great job of pointing one, one point out in the intermission there where Carlson's just walking straight down the middle and he has Crosby off to his side for a one-timer. And it's like, uh, maybe pass the puck to Sidney Crosby when you have a chance. That's the difference of playing on a team like this. It's been a long time since Eric Carlson played with other good players. I mean, even those Sens teams, think how long ago that was with Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman Mm -hmm. and guys like that. And also, okay, not Mark Stone, but no offense to Mike Hoffman. He's not Sidney Crosby. He's not any of the, he's not even Jake Gunsel. So the idea of him having to defer, having to defer, that's the thing I'm most curious about there. Hey, a hundred points, a hundred points, especially for a defenseman. That's, you can't take that away. It's a little different deal when like the final score of the hockey game (laughs) is actually of, of some import. Anyways, I, I, I'm not throwing out, uh, Eric Carlson no, after one not. game, but yeah, if you're, if you're a Penguins fan and, and certainly, yeah, did probably talk radio in Pittsburgh is, is focused uh, on the potential of this going sideways. Oh, uh, they're, they're probably, fo- let's be honest, uh, in talk radio in Pittsburgh this morning is probably focused on the fire Canada chance that apparently mm-hmm. broke out in the building there and not related what? to our beautiful nation, but no. Matt, Can- Matt Canada, but they just beat the no, Ravens. There was a clip. They're- we'll talk, we'll talk to Charles Davis about this when he, when he comes on later this week, but there was a clip in that game yeah. where uh, apparently I can't believe we're doing this now, but Hey, we're here where the Steelers score a touchdown, but it was pretty clear that Pickett audibled out of the play that Canada called and the whole booth is going nuts and Canada is just sitting there with embarrassed face on. So it is all time uh, untenable in terms of what's going on in Pittsburgh, but not that we need to talk about the Steelers now, but I, I could not believe that that happened in that game last night, that there were actual fire Canada chance. Yeah. That's intense for a team. That's over 500. Uh, Love yeah, their Steelers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Oh, uh, one other thing on Bedard. Sorry. Yes. You mentioned it with the power play there. Yes. Obviously he is being covered like Ovechkin in yeah. his prime. I will just say though, find a way you got to get him the puck more. I was watching that game and I know he's going to get covered, but Seth Jones, you're not, what you once were supposed to be. Maybe I will say watching that game last night, I did have a moment of, Hmm, did Seth Jones just save his life by Connor Bedard, just entering the picture. And all right. of a sudden expectations are different because when you're a guy like Seth Jones, who is supposed to be this great player and you're on a good Preds team, and then you're on a bad Columbus team. And all of a sudden now you're on a bad Chicago team. What you do almost doesn't matter. And right. I can only imagine how easy it is to kind of slip out of that. And I did have that thought watching last night, but he loves to hold on to the puck at the top of that power play. You got to find a way to get up to Bedard. You just do. Yeah, Connor Bedard is going to be good. Uh, was a fine debut. We will see him in the uh, city of Toronto on Monday playing uh, his first game in Toronto against the Leafs, um, his fourth game of his career. Maple oh, Leafs. I lied. No, one more thing on Bedard. No, okay. Maple Leafs. Is it? Uh, this is such a. Uh, I hate myself for asking this question, even. Is it a little unfair the way they're loading them up? 
at the start. I'm not saying it should be uh, San Jose and Arizona or whoever else you think is going to stink this year that he should be going out there and playing. But Crosby, right back to back Boston. I guess Montreal is is uh, not going to be good. And then it's the Leafs. It just seems like it is a murderer's row. I understand these are all the major media markets that you want to get them in as well. But yeah. I, I and the other part of this, I'm sure building dates have to do something with this. I heard on the broadcast last night, he's not going to play a home game until the 21st, I think. Against which, Vegas, yeah. Which, again, like, I understand that's a big one that you're probably going to make that a national game or something along those lines, but that's kind of weird to me, too, the idea that this crown jewel player, you know, if you're a Chicago fan, you're sitting there watching last night going, oh, when is he in my city? Oh, not for a week and a half still. Is this not the uh, the circus road trip for Maybe the Blackhawks? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. Because I, they, 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 they have do. the circus in town, yeah. and it's around this time, I think. Okay, okay so, so blame the circus. Okay. Wouldn't be the first time, pal. All right. Maple Leafs open up their season tonight. And for the first time in 20 years, we can talk about a Leafs team that actually won a postseason series. Uh, albeit. Amazing. It, it was. No, say it honestly. On, can I say it? Go ahead. Toronto Maple Leafs captain John Tavares scored an overtime goal to lift the Leafs to the second round of the playoffs. They won a round. Right. I just wanted to say that. It's been a while since we got a chance to remind that, and there was such a yucky taste from Florida that I just think we Uh, need to remind ourselves of what happened right before that. Should we remind ourselves that the Leafs got, I think, on balance outplayed in the six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Nah, that's no fun. All right. uh, So out is Kyle Dubas. Out is Ryan O'Reilly. Out is Michael Bunting, Alex Kerfoot, uh, Noel Achari, uh, Justin Hall, Luke Shen, Sam Lafferty, in Brad for Living, Tyler Bertuzzi, John Klingberg, Max Domi, Ryan Reeves, and Noah Gregor, who signs uh, uh-huh. his his PTO, uh, converts into an NHL contract for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the uh, fourth line. So what's the most interesting major storyline you got going into what is, again, a season with high expectations for the Toronto Maple Leafs guns? I think there are some bigger picture questions that I think a lot of people have on the tip of their tongue, but I think the thing that I'm most curious about that I think we'll be able to get a read on super early in is Tyler Bertuzzi's chemistry with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. I'm not even worried about the Mitch Marner part of that. Mitch Marner has proven he could set up just about anybody in this league. I mean, when he was a rookie, he made Tyler Bozak, and not to say Tyler Bozak wasn't anything, but he boosted that line's offensive credence, the power play, what they were able to do, all of that. So I don't worry at all about Marner and Bertuzzi finding some chemistry, finding a way to click. But And I know everyone's going to roll their eyes because I was the biggest bunting backer of all time last year, but... The chemistry that Bunting and Matthews had was real. And this isn't to overstate it that it's a Crosby-Chris Kunitz thing where only only Matthews can play with Bunting or anything like that. Of course that's not the case. Of course they had times away from one another where they both were successful. Obviously Matthews more so than Bunting. But putting Bertuzzi in that spot, I want to see the chemistry between those two. And more importantly, how does Bertuzzi fit with the role that those two need on that line? Think about it. It's been Zach Hyman. It's been Michael Bunting. It's been guys who go in the corner and get pucks and then let those guys be special. And then you need to be the little connector, little touch passes, little area plays to let the other two really skillful guys on that line succeed. So that is probably the biggest thing I'm watching that I think will actually have some semblance of idea on early on in the year. Well, and and how long is the leash with Bertuzzi? How how much time do they give that that uh, trio a chance to grow? How much shuffling of 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 the, the pieces on the the chessboard <laughs> do we see? Because hey, Michael Bunting didn't start with those two at the beginning of the season, right? No. Nope. Eventually, found his way back onto the top line, but there was 
yeah, there was a necessity to get him back up there. I, I wonder, I mean, I don't know how much of the, the preseason results that you're judging your, and I won't call it like um, anxiety about, but like I, I just look at a, a player of Tyler Bertuzzi's pedigree mm-hmm. um, and certainly postseason pedigree totally. in the 10 points and the whatever, six games, seven games with the the Boston Bruins last season and think that there's just, there's no way it can fail. But we've seen it time and time again. It's not the easiest thing in the world to play with the best players in the world. Yeah, then you throw in the fact that, you know, Bertuzzi's going to get a good look there. He is the guy, I think, that makes the most sense there. But look at what the Leafs did to that left side. I mean, again, God love Michael Bunting. I don't think anybody outside of his family loves him more than me. But he was your top left-line guy and it or le- left-wing guy, and it never really filtered again there were times where other people played that role but he was pretty clearly the best option there I don't know that that's going to be the case if Bertuzzi stumbles and I want to be clear I don't expect that but Max Domi is a capable option and it's possible he finds chemistry Matthew Nyes we have seen him have chemistry with Austin Matthews we've also seen him have chemistry with Frazier Minton there but just the fact that there is now the three kind of top nine options if you want to look at them that way it's not just it's got to be Bertuzzi and you have to find a way to make it work now on one hand that's great that you have all these options the problem is and boy doesn't this sound like all the conversations you have with john schneider about his bullpen is when you have a lot of options sometimes you want to use them all and we know keith is a tinker now i i i have a way less problems than most people do about the constant tinkering nature of of keith's lines but i do think that that's going to be the interesting thing is uh, to your point how long of a run is he going to get it and we assume that that's going to stick together if nylander's on the wing we open ourselves back up to the possibilities that we talk about all the time with these guys of, are you going to flip them? And does Marner go back with Tavares? So we're looking at it as that top line. But now that Nylander is not a center, we're just having all the same lineup conversations we've had regarding the kind of core four and who you put with them. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things I'm also thinking about is the the backup decision-making that could occur here. Like if Fraser Minton ain't it, yep. if you, if you have to, if you have to send him back to junior, are you going back to William Nylander down the middle? Are you moving David camp up into that three C role? Who's the seventh defenseman on this team, mm-hmm. which, you know, might not be that significant if they're playing six defenseman minutes, but like what happens if John Klingberg, you know, has a nagging injury yep. and you're looking at a, a top four guy. Speaking of John Klingberg, I mean, Ilya Samsonov had a career year last year, played a career high in games, mm-hmm. career high in minutes, career high in save percentage, career high in goals against average for a team that was very defensively sound and suppressed shot attempts extremely, extremely well. Yeah, a lot of the the players that allowed that to happen are still on this team. Some of them are different. Mm-hmm. Some of the additions that were made are not guys that have an extremely high defensive pedigree. Can Ilya Samsonov keep those numbers up? Can Joe Wall continue to to show what he's shown in very limited, like, professional hockey mm-hmm. for a team that might be more of the, the run-and-gun type than we've seen in the last couple of years? Well, I think that's, the, that's, that's a really good point to bring up because I think that's where coaching comes into play. I mean, not I don't want to overstate this and say, ah, good coach could turn any group of plumbers into a fine blue line. I don't think that's the case, but... So much of what we talked about with the Leafs wasn't that they have uh, five Selkie forwards up front and three Norris guys on the back end. It was buy-in. It was systems. And, you know, if you go back to John Klingberg, the last time he was on a good team, 
when he played for Dallas. I mean, I know there was the stop in Minnesota there, but that's when he was getting his Norris Trophy votes, and that's when the, and albeit they were much lower down, it's not like he was getting first place votes, but he was kind of in that realm, and that is where you saw him play his best hockey, his most sound hockey, and it was on a team that actually had expectations. So I think that I don't, I don't want to overstate it that Klingberg is going to be a defensive stalwart this year by any means because he most certainly isn't. But it's not a, to me as much about the Jims and Joes. I think it's actually more kind mm. of about the X's and O's and the buy-in because not to say it is strictly an effort thing, but a lot of times defending, and this kind of goes for any sport, is an effort thing. And that has been the problem with this team just as much as it's been a actual player for player problem. It's been more a kind of buy-in thing. And I think that's what they had going so much for them last year. As much as they had a better defensive group, especially after the deadline, I think they just had a lot more buy-in. And I'm curious to see how much of that carries over after the win last year. Uh, it was five years ago that John Klingberg was an all-star. Six years ago, he was getting Norris Trophy votes. It's been a rough years. Yeah. couple of years yeah. for him. But at, to your point, with teams that are going nowhere, um, is John Klingberg good? Like, is is I, I think a fair question to ask. Totally. A guy that's playing top four minutes for a Stanley Cup contender, understanding also mm-hmm. that this blue line is going to look different up uh, up to the trade deadline and beyond and, and going into the postseason as it did last year going into the postseason. It was totally remade at the deadline. I get that. That's going to happen. But, yeah, is, is John Klingberg a top four defenseman on a Stanley Cup contender in the year of our Lord, 2023? If you don't have Morgan Riley, maybe. If he is that guy, if he is your rover, he's the guy you put with your TJ Brody type. And I want to be clear, I'm not putting Morgan Riley and John Klingberg in the same world, especially after playoff Mo. I don't think we're ever allowed to say bad things about him again, uh, at least not for, for quite a long time. But stylistically, I think that's that's where you look at it. That say, okay, you have your one, you know, Eric Carlson, uh, Chris Letang, you know, that type of guy who is there to run your power play. Maybe they're a touch more one-dimensional. Maybe they don't kill penalties. You can have one of those guys. I don't know how many of them you can have. And then this is the other part of it as well is that, you know, we, I was watching that Tampa Nashville game last night and Tampa has a lot of questions, including their goaltending. But guess what's not a question mark is that power play. It's going to click. It's going to keep them in games. And so long as they get five or three or four opportunities a night, I think that's almost one guaranteed goal. That's how good that unit's going to be. And if Klingberg is able to do that for the Leafs, it does change the math. And I think it allows you to kind of get to the deadline and see where your team is at and then make the, the necessary additions. Because I think that is the one thing I have all those question marks about Klingberg of all the moves true living made in the off season. That was the one I was actually the, that I did not like the, or I didn't like the most because I didn't think you needed to jump to do it. We're having all these conversations about Sam Lafferty. If you were just able to get Klingberg for three, nine or four, you're able to keep Sam Lafferty on this team. So I have my questions about the player, but if he is able to make this power play look like, and not just in terms of numbers, but consistency. Well, Cause I was going to say this is a top five power play last season, but they had too long a stretches where it was not dominant, where it was not sealing games for them. And I think that was the frustrating thing about the Leafs is that yes, they would get their, they would get their goal to keep the numbers alive. But it's honestly, again, boy, the Jays Leafs parallels. I didn't even want to do them. I'm supposed to be done talking about blue Jays until Spyro talks, but even I can't do it. It's not about, Hey, you got nine hits in the game. Did you string them together? Yeah. Did you put up the kill shot when you had a one goal lead in the third period well, and then you got a power and play? Optically, and it's not it's not fair to compare them against one of the historically great power plays in Edmonton that well, we saw on, last hold year. On. It, why not? 
<laughs> I understand Connor McDavid is incredible, and then Leon Draisaitl and Austin Matthews are yeah. in the exact same category. I will not hear otherwise. But why not? Yeah. Look at the talent that's on this team. God love Ryan Nugent mm-hmm. Hopkins, but why can't William Nylander be just as dangerous of a power play mm-hmm. then? John Tavares, for all his faults that we talk about, and I don't even like to do it, but they're real. That's where he could feast. Just be a net front presence. Use your lacrosse skills. Use your body. There's no reason that unit should not look that way. I understand McDavid's special, and if you're if you're just going to say, ah, it's McDavid, mm-hmm. that's worth the extra 7% or whatever it is on no, the power but play. Watch, watch that power play a season ago and compare it to the Leafs power well, play that was like, yeah, is slightly worse statistically, but in the top five of the NHL percentage-wise, and it's night and day, yes. right? Like, even when they weren't scoring... The the Oilers looked like they were going to score every exactly. every minute and a half that Connor McDavid and that number one unit was on the ice. Maybe Leafs did in spurts, to your point, but it was not a consistent thing for them. Um, despite the fact that Brad Treliving wouldn't give us a definitive answer on on the William Nylander negotiations, I think it was pretty clear that those conversations will continue throughout the course yep. of the season. This is a guy that had a career high forty goals a season ago, eighty seven points, pending free agent. I, I, it's man. I know uh, there's more than a few people that have talked about. Hey, if if negotiations are going sideways, Brad for Living is not again going to do the Johnny Goudreau thing and mm-hmm. watch him walk out the door for nothing. I, I, I don't see how you do the other thing. But that's one of the the, the growing storylines and one of the main ones going into the season is what to become of William Nylander, a key part of this Toronto Maple Leafs team, a guy that's ascending. Um, a guy that's put in a, a comfortable position uh, on right wing on the second line and a guy who's looking to get the bag. And it's unlikely in what I know about William N- uh, Nylander's uh, willingness to go to the wire in negotiations, his willingness to back off his demands. I, I, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. I would be floored. I, I don't know that I should put something at a 0% chance, but I kind of want to put it at a 0% chance that William Nylander signs a deal in season because it's going to play out one of two ways. He either has a year that maybe makes him come back down to earth a little bit, which nobody wants, which then makes the team maybe a touch more hesitant. Not that they still wouldn't want to commit, but it would make them a touch more hesitant dollar dependent. And then Nylander's going to have to go to UFA because he's going to have to need the multiple suitors to get the number he wants, or he's going to stamp home his value with another year like he had last year. And then there is no chance he's signing that deal in season. I just... He has already done the, it wasn't team friendly, but he has already been the least paid guy of this group. I don't think he's signing up to do it with bells on again. It's just, but I don't see a world where you can make that trade. It would have to, have to, have to be a hockey trade where you have a team that has, and and please remind me if there's a group out there, I mean, maybe the Hurricanes, I guess, but you're going to have to go through them. The idea of a Pesci Nylander trade at the deadline or something it is such a fine needle to thread, and they are one. Well, and like I just can't see it happening. I really can't. Well, of course, and especially considering he is one of the the core four who is a consistent. Hey, you, performer. you heard him in our wonderful intro, cooked up by Josh right. Santos. It's not about one player. It's not about two yeah. players. It's not about a core. It's about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, he is one of the the guys that's you know he does not see his. Offensive production dip all that much in the postseason. And in fact, in the 11 playoff games last season, had 10 points, including four goals. Um, We'll see how this conversation surrounding him impacts his play on the ice. I tend to think he's so 
far removed from that. And he's so, I don't know if happy-go-lucky is is the correct terminology here, but like a guy that's very confident in his skill set. And however this plays out, I'm sure he wants to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. But yeah, if he has to apply his trade somewhere else next season and get his seven times ten, like mm-hmm. I, I, I think he's, he's not... He's not all that concerned about that potentiality. It's the point I've made over and over again. Of all of the core four, he's the only one who doesn't have to be a Leaf. Tavares came home. Yep. Matthews can go down as the greatest one of all time. Mitch Marner needs to be a Leaf or he will die well, inside. Well, dude, that's, I mean, th- that's the, the comparison I keep going back to is that, hey, Mitch Marner, hey, the offer sheet might be coming from Columbus. He might leave for the, like, that was never, ever going yeah. to happen. No. No, him. No, I, I wouldn't put it past him signing an offer sheet and putting the screws to the team. I wouldn't put him past. I, I really wouldn't put it past that. But the idea of him being happy and playing his trade in Columbus, no chance, especially if that guy ended up as the coach there. He definitely, definitely wouldn't have liked that. But when I, but Nylander is the one guy who, you know, there will always be people who, you know, every, every sports team has got there. People who Morgan Riley's their favorite leaf. There will always be people who love Nylander the most, but he is always going to be the one who kind of gets the least of the credit. Marner and Tavares, hometown kids, Matthews, the de facto captain, the heart trophy guy, unless Nylander goes and wins the con Smythe, he is never going to be the one, which isn't, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this before they play the game this season, which is not the realm of possibility. Like if the mm-hmm. Leafs go on a run, it's entirely possible. He's their best player but it's not likely. So that's why I always make the point that he's the one who needs it the least. And it's not to say he doesn't want it. I mm-hmm. believe him when he says, I want to be a leaf. Of course. Why wouldn't you think of how great it is? And Dude. I'm not even just talking about all the, Oh, everyone loves you. Yeah. Go ask even, even from San Jose to Pittsburgh, go ask Eric Carlson. I imagine the facilities in Pittsburgh a little nicer. I imagine it's a little more comfortable to be a penguin than it mm-hmm. is to be a shark. And you know, what's probably the most comfortable of them all to be a leaf that is you know we talk about shanahan and the shanna plan that was a lot of what he did was making it comfortable get and not to say the facilities were backwater or anything like that but just making it a true first class top to bottom org all that stuff so of course nylander wants to be here but he doesn't want it at a cost of nine million dollars to him if that's what the case is over his the lifetime of his deal or something like that i don't think that no he wants what he frankly deserves and he does deserve it yep uh after racking up 40 goals a season ago one see what he has in store one other thing on nylander the thing to watch with this is that i was of the belief that he would be far and away the crown jewel of the ufa class and he still will be Mm -hmm. but watch the stamkos thing Mm -hmm. if stan I, I would imagine he signs with Tampa and finishes career there. That is probably how that all plays out. But if a team is looking at a long-term William Nylander versus a very short-term, slightly lower dollar Steven Stamkos deal, mm-hmm. I, I wonder what that does to his value. So that's kind of the thing I'm watching because Shifley got sniped up. That only adds to Nylander's bargaining right. power. Every guy from that class is getting snapped up. You're seeing them all sign ahead of time. So that's the other part of it to watch is what happens with Stamkos because that'll they're obviously not direct comparables. One's a long-term building block. The mm-hmm. other is going for it, obviously and Stamkos there, but that's the name to watch that would have an impact on Nylander's value next offseason. And Stamkos on the board uh, with a victory for his uh, Tampa Bay Lightning team, despite the fact that they have no proven goaltender. Uh, They made it work, at least in, in game one. Against the who, who needs a goalie? Nashville get Petrozelli up here. Yeah. Who even needs him? <laughs> right. uh, we'll get back into the Leafs after seven o'clock. But the American League East was so good during the regular season. The best of it. 
Oh, oh no. Well, they had three playoff teams, uh, and they had zero playoff victories as the Orioles swept out of the playoffs yesterday by the Texas Rangers. Uh, We'll talk about that and a lot more next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Horfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Creed fans in that Texas Rangers locker room. They're they're doing sing-alongs in the ballpark. Yeah, they love it's it. It's amazing. By the way, text line is open 590-590. Um, texter, unnamed texter says, he's okay with the opening face-off yep. thing with, with Connor Bedard because Kelly Sutherland <laughs> did it. That's just kind of the way it is. <laughs> with somebody else, no, I might have taken an exception to it. So we, we got we got fans of individual referees. Nameless Texter is more of a hockey person than I. Uh, good for them, honestly. Good, good for them. I uh, I did not like it one iota, and I I just I think it has to be stated that Wes McCauley must be sad every time somebody right. else gets to do that. He's like, I'm I'm the I'm talker. The guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> and Tim Peel's definitely upset about it, but he's not even allowed to do that anymore. No, so. he talks on the podcast uh, I, now. Yes, he does. I will say uh, back to the, the Rangers and, and Creed, I, I think they're winning the World Series now. Yeah, I mean, but, it's not out of the realm of possibility for a franchise that's never won one despite being one freaking God, out away. And imagine? if Nelson Cruz... You know, decides that he's not afraid of the right field wall. Maybe catches the ball and they win a World Series against the Tough St. Louis ask. Cardinals. Big mean wall. I mean, it's not the monster yeah. in Boston, but eh, walls are hard. It's not the easiest catch in the world either. But like, if ever there was a ch- an opportunity to sacrifice your physical well-being to catch a baseball, it might be you think the twenty seventh out of the clinching game of the World Series. But that's just me. but they are winning the world series because we saw this with the blues with gloria whenever a team oh musical thing it's just but it has to be organic right like i force it i have long wanted the leafs to just adopt come on just have a playoff mascot like there can't be some cute kid there or something like we know the oilers thing and obviously like rest in peace it's very sad what happened with that kid but like can you not just have a mascot but it has to be organic and this Mm -hmm. thing has come about organically from the players there in Texas and everything. And the Blues had the exact same thing going on with their play, Gloria. And yeah. I don't know. Some of it's sports magic, but uh-huh. sports magic isn't completely unreal. No, it's not. But you know what is more tangible, more real? <laughs> Good baseball. Yeah, the, the team that <laughs> scores a bunch of runs and has superior starting pitching, which the Rangers did than the Orioles during the regular season. So the Orioles lose. They're swept away mm-hmm. in three games womp, by womp. the Texas Rangers. They, they won 101 games during the regular season after just missing the playoffs and deciding not to add that team a season ago. They added to this team, but mm-hmm. not in a significant way. And they're bounced from the postseason in three games, getting outscored 21-11. So the, the Orioles, the Rays, and the Blue Jays, same number of postseason wins. So take that what you will out of that. Uh, the Blue Jays had the same amount of postseason success as the other teams who I think Blue Jays fans evaluate as having a better season, which is true during the regular season, especially those were better teams. But yeah, baseball, she's a cruel mistress when it comes to the postseason. How much better were the Orioles than the Blue Jays? Hard, hard to say. Is the innocent climb over? I would say 
for certain. Is there a lesson to be learned here? I would also say for certain there is. Now, you can throw your hands up and say it's the postseason. It's a bit of a crapshoot considering you play every day for six months, 162 games, mm-hmm. and that's the more tangible sample. That's the more that's the better indicator of who the best baseball team is. That's all well and good. You can do that, and there is some validity to that. But it's North American pro sports. We, we judge who was a success and who was a failure through the playing of the playoffs. And the Orioles, despite the 101 wins, mm-hmm. were a failure. Yep. They didn't win a playoff game. They didn't make the American League Championship Series. Granted, it's a very young group, and they're coming back uh, and going to have another kick of the can next year, and maybe with Jackson Holiday, who's the, the best <laughs> prospect in the entire sport. But who the hell knows what happens next year? We talked about it in relation to the Blue Jays and mm-hmm. what the Yankees and Red Sox do this offseason. Shohei Otani being bandied about in, in rumors surrounding the Red Sox and, and New Balance's headquarters being located in Massachusetts, maybe being a factor there. Who the hell knows what happens over 162 games next year? It was why at the deadline this year, I thought the Orioles were out of their minds not to push further in to the middle of the table. Totally. It's it's why going into this postseason, you and I had the same thought about this Orioles team and how flawed they might be, considering that they had a great season swinging the bats, and certainly the offense was a part of it, and the offense didn't show up as much as, as it did during the regular season, but it was mostly the starting pitching that let them down. No shocker. That, yeah. you, that you just wasted this glorious opportunity by not adding starting pitching to it. I think that's the lesson to be taken. And maybe, you know, next year the, or this offseason, they add a bunch of starting pitching, and at the deadline they learn from their mistakes and they add, and, and it's a 120-win Orioles team next year. But maybe not. Like, maybe some guys get hurt. Maybe progression is not linear, and they take a step mm-hmm. back, and they realize in retrospect this was the year to push further all in, and they didn't. You also have to realize what team you are. And I know the Orioles don't want to come out and say, guys, we're going to have a hard time paying for this team once the guys get good. So this is our our shot. We're not going to be a luxury tax team. But these guys are only getting more expensive year over year. It is only going to further inhibit your ability to go do what the Blue Jays have done with Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett and before them, Hyunjin Ryu. The Orioles have not proved that they are that type of organization shopping that way. The shopping they did this year, I know he's the one that got away for Jays fans, but Jack Flaherty is not enough to tip the scales. And and it's really tough for Blue Jays fans because he looks so good in that one always start he had, the first one uh, at Rogers Center there. But I was of the exact same mind. It was the question I had for every baseball person heading into the deadline. We were all so worried about if the Blue Jays should trade for Mark Canna. And the thing I was was focused on in terms of the American League was why the Orioles didn't want to go in with some semblance of a formidable rotation. And the other part of it that I don't think can be overstated, although it didn't really show up in this series because they got smoked the way they did is they lost their closer. All we talk about is this time of year is, yes, you need great starting pitching, but you also need to have lockdown, lockdown, lockdown at the end. And, you know, I know Cano is capable there, but it's it just losing Batista is a game changer. And guess what? You lost them for next year, yeah. given the time of year this happened. So that's another question mark they're going to have. I don't, this is not the death of the Orioles. And all of a sudden they're, they're going to, the floor for them is super high because of that young talent they've amassed, but you need to find a way to push in. And I don't know that you can always do the direct line to line of, Oh, this team, like the AL East went 0 and seven, maybe the division stinks because of 
matchups are so weird in baseball. But when it's 0-7, yeah. I think you can draw a few things out of that. Well, and we like to think, you mentioned Felix Bautista being out for the playoffs and going to miss a significant amount of time next season as well after having or being on pace to have one of the best relief seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. It's terrifying. And what a blow that was for an, an Orioles team that had World Series aspirations after a 101-win season. I don't know how much he's impacting a game in which you give up 11 runs before the ninth inning yeah. or seven runs before that. That's it, right? Like, we, we think of the playoffs as being, well, you go back to that 2015 Royals team and made of this incredible bullpen, and it's relief arms that get you to the promised land. The 2016 uh, Cleveland team that took care of the Blue Jays and Andrew Miller getting at least six outs in every single postseason game. There's a formula there for sure. You need some modicum of starting pitching. Like mm -hmm. You need to, to get through at least four or five <laughs> innings without giving up multiple home runs. And, just, and I know the Rangers' bullpen has been their undoing at times this season, but just statistically, yep. they, they had a better starting rotation than the Baltimore Orioles and, and a team that is a, a very formidable offense pretty clearly. And, I mean, the Astros haven't finished off the Minnesota Twins yet, but that's that's a pretty sexy American League Championship Series matchup. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, obviously, the people of Texas would be super excited for that. You're you're better at uh, at what the people of Texas are, are thinking on any given moment than I. But I They're imagine thinking about brisket quite at often, all point, and the Cowboys. Yeah, brisket and the Cowboys. What what's up with that? Maybe not in that order, but yeah, yeah, probably Cowboys then brisket. Yeah, probably Cowboys brisket. Cowboys again, yeah. I think, is the order there. But shout <laughs> out to the Rangers and Astros. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, speaking of the Astros, they they lead that series two games to one after a 9-1 win over the Twins yesterday. Jumping all over Sonny Gray. <laughs> yeah. I was not at all surprised to see oh. that. Sonny Gray had a great regular season, and and maybe, you know, the, the Twins bounce back and take this series. He can have a great start in the American League Championship Series. But... This is what good teams do against a guy that doesn't have his best stuff. What we saw from Sonny Gray in his first postseason start this season against the Blue Jays was not the guy that had the ERA sub three, the guy that led the American League in uh, home runs per nine innings, mm -hmm. um, suppressing them as much as he did during the regular season. That guy was gettable, and guess what good teams do? They get him, mm -hmm. which the Astros did yesterday, putting themselves on on the verge of the American League Championship Series. The other thing that I had as far as a takeaway from mm. the postseason team still alive right now, Dusty Baker still alive with that Astros team. Oh, I, I thought you were just informing me. Oh, no, no, no. He's, he's not that old. No, Come on, that's not. mean. He's fine. Bruce Bochy <laughs> celebrating a series victory for the, the Texas Rangers, trying to add to mm. his incredible resume as a manager brian snitker uh as the the braves are one one with the philadelphia phillies after their incredible comeback in game two those are the three oldest managers in major league baseball mm. the three oldest dudes you know who three of the five youngest managers in major league baseball are i have a guess john schneider <laughs> kevin cash Rocco Baldelli. Now, I'm, I'm not pouring dirt on Baldelli's twins yet. They're mm -hmm. only down two to one, and they are in the American League Division Series. And Kevin Cash has been to a World Series before. He's had some postseason success. But it is it is interesting to me that you've got the teams that are having the most postseason success in Major League Baseball right now, helmed by some dudes that 
have been there before, mm-hmm. that have an air of confidence, that 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 are older gentlemen, frankly. <laughs> and the Blue Jays departed the postseason for multiple different reasons, but one of them was because of some curious decision making, which those guys aren't removed from the potential of happening to them. I, I is it just. Correlation or is there causation there, Brent, that the three oldest managers in Major League Baseball are the skippers of three of the most formidable postseason teams left in Major League Baseball? Who knew that loving tapioca pudding or whatever, I don't know, your go-to old guy food is would be the key to, to managing. I mean, the immediate place my head goes with this, and I'll be honest, you would have to be much more plugged in on a day-to-day basis with these teams uh, than I am to have a opinion on this, but where my head immediately goes is the the autonomy, the clout whatever word you want to use. Now, obviously my head goes there because of everything that's happened with the Blue Jays. But I mean, you know, there was a clip from earlier in this postseason of, of Strider chewing off Snickers ear about whether he should stay in the game or not. And it's not a, it's not a set in stone. This is what it is. There's a feel thing there. And I don't think that's the reason why those teams are. I think the reason those teams are there is because the way those teams are built, but I, that, I'd be lying to you if that's not where my head immediately goes. Here's where my head goes. Oh, okay. Um, we talked about it in February that this Blue Jays team was going to be more mature, right? Like they were, they they mm. cast aside Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Making and, fruit cocktails at Fenway there, yeah, and rightly or wrongly, those guys were the faces of a team that was unserious, right? And there was a there's a delineation between having fun Get rid and, of the jacket and being silly. Blue Jays are too silly last year, and John Schneider. Part of his appeal taking over for Charlie Montoya was that he was going to have. Um, yeah, there was going to be a more serious tone with this Blue Jays team. He was going to be the face of it. But it was his first full season as a major league manager. And 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 maybe this is unfair. And it's not like those teams helmed by those three oldest managers in Major League Baseball don't make mistakes. But I go back to game two against the Minnesota Twins and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting picked off second base, being the first Blue Jays player in postseason history. Thanks for mentioning that. It has kind of slid away, given everything. To be picked off second base in a playoff game, end of sentence, but to be picked off of second base in a must-win game for the Blue Jays with your best hitter at the plate, representing the tying run in the fifth inning. Yeah, something something special there. Does that happen (laughs) if it's Bruce Bochy looking on and I'm not saying just in that moment, right. right? But like you have a six months of reps of Bruce Bochy being in your ear or being the face of, I don't know if discipline is is the cor- correct term here because these are not children, right? No. Like, and, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ultimately, the player who is making millions of dollars has more clout than any manager, even a manager with the, the reputation and the credentials that a Bruce Bochy has. But man, I can't tell you that my my... Thoughts did not go to what does this team look like and the base running mistakes that continued from game one through game 162 to game 163 and 164. How does that specifically look when there's a, a, a guy that demands just frankly a little more respect from Major League Baseball players because of the pedigree, because of the experience as well? Yeah, and I mean, I think some of that goes to I think you hit the nail on the head there with we could talk about whether it's the manager and the respect factor, all that. It boils down to the player making the mistake. But 
This is also what George Springer is supposed to be here for. That is kind of his utility on a team like this. And of course, he's there to be the leadoff man and hit leadoff homers the way he does and all that. But that is also kind of his job is to be that buffer on this team. And I'm not saying that George Springer isn't that, but just seeing his personality, not to say he would never hold anybody accountable, but does he look like a get in your face kind of guy? And not to say that John Schneider doesn't, because he yeah. does look like a get in your face kind of guy a little bit. But we don't know that he does because we never see it. But say he is getting in your face yeah. as a major league. It's baseball. not the same as it being three or two time World Series hey, three time Bruce Bochy. Yeah, uh, John Schneider. That's that's all well and good, and you've had a, a long uh, minor league career, and you've been in this organization <laughs> as a minor league manager, and then as a major league coach for a long time. But who the hell are you, frankly? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like the the. the there is there's a, a lot. I got to say in that Jay's dugout, there's probably a lot of that going around from everybody, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not say John Schneider be saying this, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah. One good year. Who the hell are you? Frankly, <laughs> honestly, like I like, let's not overstate it, right? If you're going to sit here and talk about Schneider's track record and lack of it. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's coming from you, but if that's the thought process, I imagine there's some of that going on the exact and, other way. And major league baseball has gotten to a place where it's all, it's shocking when there's a retread hire as a manager, right? Totally. All these organizations promote what from within, they promote the young guy yeah. that's familiar with the way the organization does business despite the fact that john schneider had all the autonomy in the world and he runs his own yeah he's runs a, his own, own meetings with the oh. uniformed coaches yeah god what a great line that was as I, well i get it part of his appeal <laughs> and even part of charlie montoyo's appeal was that he's yeah moldable right mm-hmm. that that he's a clean slate and and is open to new ideas now part of the appeal of dusty baker was one to uh, eradicate the stank of the trash can banging yes. astros but also that he is he's amenable to information but i i got to say i think we've gone too far with the the hiring totally. of, of the managers without any any um, background, any experience in the role, especially for teams like the Blue Jays, who, you know, fired a manager who was a first-time manager and and had spent a lot of time uh, on a major league baseball bench uh, as a bench coach for the Tampa Bay Rays, but was getting his first kick of the can as a major league manager mm-hmm. was on the come up for the Blue Jays, and then you fire him mid-season during a season with expectations that you don't pivot to. You know what? Honestly, there's maybe we're going to do this mm-hmm. cross-sport comparison all yeah. season long. There's a there's a parallel to the Maple Leafs and yeah. Sheldon Keefe, who gets his first kick of the can for a team that's ready-made to win a championship. Blue Jays were ready-made to win a championship. They went with an unproven guy mm-hmm. in John Schneider. It and, hasn't worked out to this point. And I'll it just, must be admitted. It must be, and I'll just quickly add it again. You know, I know, I know nobody's saying the Leafs have accomplished all their goals because, boy, haven't they? The Blue Jays would kill to be the Leafs. John Schneider and Charlie Montoya would kill for Sheldon Keefe's track record. So I, it just, it, it has to be stated. All right, speaking of the Leafs, we'll get back into that team who plays their first regular season game tonight at home against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, the new additions, I mean, the, they seem to satiate an, an element that this fan base really wanted uh, this team to address this past offseason. Is this Leafs team more likable than any in recent vintage. That and much more next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.